Well, hello and welcome to the last great day service. This is a, a sad day and a glad day. It's a glad day because we look forward to what it pictures. It's the culmination of God's whole plan for mankind. It's what he did everything for mankind. He gave Jesus Christ as our Savior. He introduced us to his holy days so we could understand the plan of salvation. He gave us the days of unleavened bread where we can become like our unleavened bread Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave us the Feast of Pentecost so that we could become a body of of Christ uh, fitly joined together. He gave us the Feast of Trumpets so that we could look forward to the return of Jesus Christ and then the Day of Atonement in which Satan the devil is to be put away. And then seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles which we have just observed picturing the whole period of time of 1,000 years in in which Jesus Christ brings peace and love and harmony and justice and joy to every human being that's alive at the time. But now we come to the last great day, a special day, a fulfillment day. And we're going to be talking about that here uh, as we go through the sermon uh, this afternoon. I said it's a sad day and a glad day. It's a sad day because we're all going home tomorrow. And you've made good friends uh, at the feast this year. Uh, You've had a wonderful time of... uh, fellowship and celebration and good food and maybe a a few wines and uh, enjoyable um, activities. Uh, You've probably had some good entertainment uh, at some of the activities that you've had there. And so it is a sad day, but a glad day. And so today I want to be able to share with you the very picture of the last great day. Will Yup the Junger live again? Who was Yup or Yup we used to call him? Will Yup the Junger live again? Uh, he was actually my age um, and in my class at school. I was about 14, I think, at the time. And uh, he and his family had come to Australia uh, after the Second World War and uh, It had been a very difficult time. They had been living in Indonesia and they had been through the Japanese occupation. And then it seemed like no sooner did the war end that the Indonesians then started to fight for independence. And so to save everyone a whole lot of bloodshed and and difficulty, uh, the United Nations, which was new at that time, granted the country of Indonesia independence. And so all of these Dutch people who were living in Indonesia either had to go back to Holland, where they had come from, or their relatives had come from, because some were second, third, and fourth generation uh, Dutch Indonesians. Or many of them went to Australia and New Zealand. And so we were living uh, just south of Sydney, and Jupp de Junge, uh, which is what his name was, and his parents uh, came to live where I was living. And he was a tall, gangly uh, Dutch boy, 14 years of age, 
uh, with a little bit of a, a Dutch accent and a lovely personality. Well, what happened was that during the Easter break, school break of 1964, Jupp and a friend of his decided to go camping. And uh, they took all their tents and their food and sleeping uh, bags and uh, everything else. And they set out on a fine, sunny uh, Good Friday morning and took a train uh, north of where we were living in, um, in Australia. And uh, they got off the train and they hiked a, a few miles. And to get to the campsite that they wanted to uh, be, at, be at for the rest of the weekend, they had to go down and cross a little creek. Uh, they still were able to jump over it. It was so small. And then they went up on the other side and found a nice flat plateau uh, where they um, put up their tents and, uh, and um, you know, bivouac and, uh, and got themselves set up for two or three days of camping. Well, everything went well until the Saturday night uh, and at that time, a big storm came in, and it wasn't just a, you know, a small storm. It was one that lasted right through the night and right through the Sunday. And uh, finally, at the end of the Sunday, they were sodden and wet and cold and miserable. So they decided to uh, pack up camp and go back and go back home early. Well, of course, they went. Uh, uh, back down the little uh, hill to the, what was the small creek that they were able to jump over when they were had first arrived. But now this was a swollen, raging torrent of water. And Yup, who was uh, always an enthusiastic young fellow, decided that he would swim over. And so he got all of his gear and he dived in and started swimming across, but the waters were too strong. And they swept him away and he went under under the water and sadly he drowned. It was about three days later that the search and rescue people found his body uh, jammed under a sunken log. And so they brought him his body back home to his stricken mother and father and brother and we had a memorial service at school and you know I was 14 at the time and it was the first time I had ever really faced death yeah okay my grandfather had died <clears throat> and our grandmother I think as well that's yes my grandmother had died so you know I had experienced death but not death of someone my age and it had a profound effect. I started to ask myself the question, well, what would happen to me if I died? You know, would I rise again? Would I live again? Would I, you know, would I see my parents again? Would I see my family? Would I, what would happen? Would I go to heaven? And so that was 1964. And about that time, my father was uh, studying the literature from the Worldwide Church of God and he had an article there about the last great day and the resurrections. And so I read that. And it all made sense. Here I could see Jupp de Junge, my Dutch friend, once again being resurrected and being reconnected to his family. 
And so I thought to myself as I was preparing this sermon, how about we talk about the resurrections, the three resurrections that are mentioned in the Bible? How about we talk about the people who have died peaceful deaths in their sleep? You know, you you hear stories <clears throat> of people who... Um, you know, went to sleep uh, sitting in their favorite chair and uh, they just didn't wake up. And uh, the wife came down in the morning and there was her husband still sitting and looking peaceful and uh, just simply died in his sleep. But then there have been terribly, terribly painful deaths, dramatic deaths, violent deaths, an incredible variety of ways in which people have ended their lives. Everything from a child just a few days old uh, dying uh, to someone who's over 100 years of age dying. It really is quite an amazing uh, array, you might say, of possible ways that people die. Well, the last great day is all about the final stage in God's great plan for mankind. And it requires all of the components uh, that come before it. As I mentioned before, the Passover, the Days of Unleavened Bread, Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, and then, of course, uh, the ultimate salvation of all mankind, which is this day, the last great day. So for all humans... The unknown is always something to be feared. In fact, the Bible tells us that death is an enemy. It's not a friend. You know, no one really does like death and all of the things that come with death. The loneliness, the sadness, the the separation. You know, right now as I speak to you here, I know there are some of you sitting in your seat right there now thinking about what I'm talking about. And your emotions, uh, your nerves, your feelings are very raw because you've lost someone near and dear in just the last few weeks or months. And so as I touch on this, I am, I'm aware. I'm aware of the fact that this is not a normal time. This is a time of great sensitivity for you and sadness. And so that's why I thought it would be helpful for me to give you information that's going to give you hope uh, for the years that, that lie ahead. It's really quite interesting. In the years, uh, recent years, the hell story, you know, the story of b- people burning and in, in everlasting torment, uh, has been downplayed by the churches. You know, there was a time, I know, in Ireland, in Catholic Ireland, where so many children would wake wake up and sit bolt upright because the, the priest or the nuns had scared them witless the previous day about hellfire. And uh, they were fearful. And they and the, the unfortunately, some churches and some priests and some pastors and ministers have terrorized people and used 
the hellfire story as a, a weapon to make people obedient or to pay more money or, or whatever, pay their indulgences, uh, try and get people out of uh, purgatory, uh, relatives. They, they'll pay you for a certain amount for a, a priest to say a mass, to pray that uh, the person, who, their relative, who maybe didn't live the very best of lives and hadn't quite gone to hell, but they were in purgatory, and if they paid enough money, they could uh, have them uh, go to heaven. You know, these are the stories that you hear about. I, I was never a Catholic, so, you know, I <laughs> I never had to really live with that sort of stuff. I was a Presbyterian, and generally when I was growing up, Presbyterians all went to heaven. <laughs> it was almost, almost like there weren't any bad Presbyterians. Uh, there were some, by the way. <laughs> but uh, it is interesting how that, that um, story of hell has subsided over the last few years. So what do you know and understand uh, from the Bible about the future for the dead? Uh, you can be assured uh, that you have been given priceless information by God. And I'm here to uh, expand that information, give you even more understanding so that you can look forward to a time where your friends, your neighbors, your relatives uh, are going to come up in the third resurrection. No, no, sorry. I don't want the coming up the third resurrection. In the second resurrection, I have to think, did I say third resurrection before and I meant second? Yes, you're probably all nodding your head and and saying, yes, you made a mistake there. Well, if I did, you knew I meant second resurrection. Anyway, so your neighbors, friends, relatives, they're going to come up in the second resurrection, and um, they're going to uh, be met by you. And you're going to say to them, well, hello, James, or uh, Jenny, or um, um, Rashid, or uh, I'm just trying to think of uh, other names that uh, would fit. And you will welcome them into a new world. So what do you know and understand from the Bible about the future? Well, as I mentioned before, you may still have some niggling doubts uh, about um, whether your relatives are in heaven or hell. It's very hard to get those concepts out of our mind. And uh, so you might still think of your grandmother looking down upon you from, from heaven. Well, guess what? It just simply is not true. How can I speak so uh, confidently that your grandmother is not in heaven? Well, it's really quite easy. You go to John chapter 3 and verse 13. John chapter 3, I actually happen to turn to that just as I open my Bible. You know how that does that sometimes. You, you'll open the Bible, there it is, it's right where you, you need to read. But I have to wait for the rest of you to to find John chapter 3 and verse 13. By the way, lovely cup of uh, Lipton's tea here in my Tomorrow's World mug. John chapter 3 verse 13. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, who is in heaven. That Jesus Christ, when John wrote this, was in heaven. So what does this mean? <coughs> no one has ascended to heaven. Well, it actually means what it says. 
No human being has ever ascended to heaven. Not even Enoch and Elijah. No, no one has ever ascended to heaven. There is no such thing as an immortal soul. We are souls. It says of of Adam and Adam, it says God breathed into him the breath of life and he became a living soul. The word soul, we don't use it very often these days. You know, the only time you would probably come across the word soul would when would be when you think of the uh, sort of um, emergency uh, message, SOS, save our souls. Um, when I was growing up, I remembered... I remember hearing that old King Cole was a merry old soul. Does that mean he was a merry old immortal soul? No. It just means that he was a merry old man. That's all. So there is no such thing as an immortal soul. And we know that when a person dies, the breath of life leaves them. And at the same time that the breath of life leaves the body, So likewise, the spirit in man returns to God and it has imprinted upon it all of the life's experiences of that individual, all of his memories, all of her thoughts and ideas, her personality, his concepts, his, um, you know, sense of humor, if he could sing a, hold the tune and, and, and was a good singer, that spirit in man returns to God and it's held, you might say, in a, <laughs> I don't know, is it held in some little cubicle, some little box? We're talking spirit here, you know. So we, don't, we don't have to talk about uh, spiritual boxes, but it, it's preserved by God in heaven for the day of the resurrection of that person. If they come up in the first resurrection, that spirit in man will come back and be in that new spirit body that that person has because they're in the first resurrection. If they come up in the second resurrection, the spirit in man will once again come back and come into the human body, the new human body of the resurrected uh, human being. And If they come up in the third resurrection, well, we'll tell you all about that later. But you can see that human beings, when they die, they simply go to sleep. You know, the the terminology is there in both Old and New Testament. David talked about people sleeping. uh, sleeping. Uh, Others talked about them sleeping in the dust. Um, in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4, we are told of people uh, being asleep. Uh, Paul says in Thessalonians, asleep in Christ. So those who are uh, truly converted and have the gift of God's Holy Spirit and therefore the, the uh, gift of eternal life, they are asleep in Christ. So it's, it's an amazing story that uh, we are given. And I'll be touching on some of these things as we go through the sermon and uh, get an understanding. If we just want to add to John 3.13 where it says, 
uh, no one has ascended to heaven. And we go a few pages over to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 and verse 34. While you're looking there, I'll have a sip of my tea. Mm, very good. I'm sure Winston absolutely loved his tea. He loved a few other things too, like um, champagne and whiskey. But we won't discuss Winston Churchill at this time, except to say that I am looking forward to meeting Sir Winston Churchill in the second resurrection. I can just imagine him coming up and and uh, you know looking around, surveying the scene, and uh, saying to those around him, "Well, where are we?" <laughs> and um, I, I would like to be there. Actually, I don't know whether God will let me do this. Maybe I should put in a request and ask God if I could sort of be there to meet Sir Winston. It would be a a great honor and an occasion. So you've got to Acts 2, verse 34. Notice what it says. It says, For David, that is King David, did not ascend into the heavens. Uh, there it is, as, as clear as a bell. Uh, just as we read in John 3, 13. It's not as if these are unclear scriptures. I love what Mr. Ames says. Uh, he, has a, he, he often makes a, uh, a telecast or he'll give a sermon on the five keys to studying the Bible. And one of the keys, and I think it's so simple, is, first of all, he says the Bible interprets the Bible, and that is so true. But he says, if you want to understand a difficult scripture, go to another scripture that's not difficult to understand. So, And, and then that becomes the basis for understanding the difficult scripture. You can see what I mean. Here we have that scripture in John 3, no, uh, no man has ascended unto heaven. And here is, it says, David did not ascend into the heavens. So when it talks about, um, you know, the thief on the cross, and people think that, uh, you know, this day you shall be with me in paradise, well, the fact of the matter is, that does not mean this day, on this day you shall be with me. Christ said, and I say to you today, and it should be a comma, uh, you shall be with me in paradise, not today you shall be with me in paradise. So that's a difficult scripture that can be explained by the in, insertion of a, of a comma. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus Christ didn't go to paradise that day. Jesus Christ died and was in the grave three days and three nights. He wasn't in paradise. So, you know, it's, it's so helpful for us when we have clear scriptures to understand difficult scriptures. And, uh, you know, people read the Bible with a preconceived idea. They believe that people are going to go to heaven when they die. And so they'll come across a scripture and they'll say, oh, look at this, this proves. No, it doesn't. It doesn't prove that you go to heaven when you die because John 3.13 says you don't. So that's, uh, anyway, I get a bit sort of uh, excited about these things. So I think it's time for us to fill in the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle 
for the last great day. Let's have a look at Hebrews chapter 9. <laughs> I turned to it again, just randomly. So now I've got to wait for you all there to, to get to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9 verse 27. Really, once again, a very simple statement. It says, and it is, a, it is appointed for men to die once. But after this, the judgment. Uh, so that's a very simple statement. Uh, we die. We're in the grave. <coughs> Unless, of course, you and I have the privilege of being in the first resurrection and we will be amongst the very few people that will never have to go to the grave because we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye from flesh to spirit. And there won't be too many. In all the you know, history of mankind, of the billions of people who have lived, only a very few will be changed at the last trump. So I think it's good for us sometimes to put all these things in perspective. So, as I said, except for a very few who will be changed in the twinkling of an eye <coughs> from physical to a spirit being, all other men will or will have died. Um, you know, the, the sad thing about it is that the Great Tribulation is coming and of the seven billion people who are alive on earth today, think about it, more than six and a half billion of that seven billion are going to die. Now, I don't know whether it's six and a half or less or more, but, you know, probably only 500 million people or even less, maybe only 100 million people will be left when Christ returns. I don't know. But I know this, that billions of people are going to die in the great tribulation and the day of the Lord so that when we come up in the first resurrection or were changed um, we're going to uh, be introduced to a world where there are very few people left and it's going to be an amazing thing for people to have to get used to living in a world where there won't be billions of people around I, I look forward to the time when and I hope this is the case, that Jesus Christ um, restores the uh, ecological balance to the world. And wouldn't it be great if he recreated extinct animals so that we get to see you know, some of the beautiful animals that God created at creation that have since, have since become extinct. Uh, I've always looked forward to seeing a dodo. Uh, they were on the island of Mauritius and they were all uh, hunted out by uh, European um, settlers who had guns and I'm sorry, but the dodo didn't have much of a chance. That's why they were called the dodo. <laughs> all people are called dodos today. But, you know, imagine that if we um, had this um, recreation of all of the birds and the animals and the fish and the sea. and uh, It's just amazing. You know, that's all coming in the future. And uh, so we look forward to that. Anyway, so let's now go from uh, that scripture in Hebrews 9 where it says it's appointed for men to die once uh, 
to another scripture, which is very, very instructive. It's in John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And uh, verses 28 and 29. This time I didn't turn straight to it, so that's good. (laughs) You can catch up with me. But here it is in John chapter 5, verse 28. Uh, Christ, I think he must have been talking to the, the scribes and the Pharisees here. Let's have a bit of a look at that. Yes, then the Jews sought all the more to kill him. So he was just speaking to the Jews, and this is what he said. In John 5, verse 28, he says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Uh, If you're wanting to put a title on this sermon, I titled it, All in the Graves Will Hear His Voice. It's sort of a a really great expression, isn't isn't it? Expression. You know, imagine someone being resurrected, and they've come from unconsciousness to consciousness. Uh, They have been reassembled, you might say, uh, from the very dust of the ground. And as God breathes into them the breath of life, and so they become a functioning human being again, which means that their auditory nerves are once again working, What's the first thing they hear? They hear the voice of Jesus Christ. It's quite amazing, isn't it? What will he say? Something like, um, Rise up from the dead. (laughs) Or, (laughs) Welcome back to life. I don't know what he's going to say, but it does say, listen, let's read it again. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. And come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So this is quite an interesting scripture because these things do not happen uh, immediately. When I say the, the, the judgment doesn't happen immediately, and one of the things I want to emphasize uh, throughout this uh, sermon is this. The last great day is a day of judgment. But so was will the millennium be a day of judgment. And just as you and I who are to be in the first resurrection, for us this is our day of judgment. Now let me ask you a question. How long does God give you to see if you're going to live your life and obey him. Well, for me, it's 50 years. Uh, I first was called by God in 1964-65 and started attending church in 1965. So this year, 2015, uh, yeah, it's 50 years since I started attending church. And so um, I was baptized in 1971 So I have been under judgment uh, from that day until today. Well, it's no different in, it's going to be no different in the millennium. People are going to have a period of time in which they will be judged to see whether they're going to obey God. Likewise, in the 
great white throne judgment, those who come up in in that um, second resurrection. They will be given a period of time. It says in, in Isaiah 65 verse 20, it says that they will come up and they will be given a period of time in which they will be judged. It looks like it's going to be 100 years. Now there will be a group of people who will have already been judged. And that is the ones here where it says, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation or judgment. That will be a special group of people. Now who will they be? I don't want to get too far ahead of myself in the sermon, but I think it's probably appropriate that I tell you who they will be. They will be the people that in the last 6,000 years were called by God, were given understanding, knowingly accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, repented of their sins, but then rejected God, rejected Jesus Christ, and so they have had their chance. They died back then, or if they're alive now, they will die. And they will come up in that resurrection, which is specifically called the third resurrection. They won't be in the second resurrection, because they've had their chance. And they will be joined by a very small group of people who lived in the millennium and also the great white throne judgment, who also will reject God and Jesus Christ. And these will be a group of people who, and the only way I could describe it to you is to to show you what sort of, how can I put it, uh, attitude or frame of mind they're going to be in. They're going to be in a frame of mind where if you talk to them and you said, aren't you looking forward to eternity working with God and Jesus Christ? No way. I don't want to work with them. I tell you, they have been cruel to me and, and I don't want anything to do with that kingdom of God that you're talking about. And so God says, well, I'm going to unfortunately have to permanently, you know, expunge them uh, from existence and so they will go into the lake of fire it's not nice to talk about it's a sad thing to talk about but frankly it's actually a merciful thing that God does he doesn't want in his kingdom a group of people who are in constant rebellion and disobedience and in a bad attitude always sowing discord and strife amongst other people, always complaining and always, you know, speaking behind people's backs uh, about how unfair and how unjust God and Jesus Christ are. God says, look, uh, I'm going to be merciful to you and I'm going to destroy you. And they'll be physical. They won't be uh, spirit beings. They'll be physical. And so the lake of fire will be there and they will be, you know, destroyed, mercifully. They don't want to be in God's kingdom, and God doesn't want them in his kingdom either. You know, it's a it's a very sad thing, but there will be very, very few people in that category, but there will be some. 
That's why it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And he says it's impossible. Maybe we should just read that there in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. That's uh, I don't have this in my notes, but it's it's important for us to sometimes, you know, go through these scriptures here. Okay. First of all, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31. Um, it says, uh, Hebrews 10:31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, does that mean that we should, you know, get around in a state of terrified, you know, uh, bewilderment all the time? No, no, no. It just means that we should greatly respect God and, and realize that he is our judge. Notice verse 26. It says, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, willfully means, you know, adamantly, defiantly, um, in the full knowledge of, of what you are doing. It doesn't mean the type of sin where you, in weakness or, you know, in foolishness, uh, you know, sin. It says, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no lo- there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. So, um, you know, God says we should be very, very aware of this. In verse 29, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy, where are we here, of how much more... How much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing? So what God is saying is don't take for granted your wonderful calling, but fearfully respect God and fearfully obey him. You know, I fear God. But did you know that I love God? And my fear and my love are really the same thing. It's like my own physical father. You know, I feared him. He, he had a, a pretty powerful uh, uh, forearm when it came to swatting me on the bot. Uh, so I feared him, but I loved him. And when I was corrected by my father, strangely enough, I loved him more. It's just the way it is. So I think we should just remember some of these things. So people have this idea that judgment day that's going to come, which is the great white throne judgment, is all about Jesus Christ. I don't know why it is, but people have these pictures of of scenes. And the scene is of Jesus Christ sitting on this big golden throne and there's a long line of several billion people winding away off into the distance. And Jesus Christ is sitting there judging. And the angels bring someone and stand him before him. And they say, uh, Master, uh, this man lived a debased and well, wicked life. And he was a liar and a thief. And... Uh, He uh, treated people terribly. Mmm, Jesus Christ. 
points to the left, to the door that leads to hell. And then this other next person comes along, and it's this sweet little lady, and the angel says, well, here we have a lovely lady, your master, my master, who um, lived a, a wonderful life. She made a few mistakes like all humans doing do, but really she was just a lovely person and always doing all she could for her neighbors and her friends. And uh, she went to church every Sunday and, Ah, oh, that's good to hear. To the right, my dear, you can go to everlasting bliss and happiness. So she goes off to the right, and the sinner goes off to the left. Well, it's not going to be like that. No, judgment day is not just one day. It's a period of time. It's a, the suggestion is that it's a hundred years in which people get to live their life you know, at that time, as a human being, not as a spirit being. So the Bible speaks of actually two resurrections. But there is a third that is implied, and that's why we in the church have always spoken about three resurrections or the third resurrection. Now, because we've done that, a lot of people say, well, you show me in the Bible where it says the third resurrection. And they're right, you can't, you can't find it. But you can put the pieces together to clearly understand that there is a third resurrection. And we read of it in John chapter 5, verse 29, 28, there it was there. So, um, yeah, so it speaks of two resurrections, but then we would also see that there's a third. We need to actually go through the resurrections that are mentioned in the Bible so we can understand what God has planned from the beginning. Now, Think for a moment about Adam and Eve. They were, Adam was uh, formed from the dust of the ground. I remember years ago where you had the Bible story uh, with the drawings by Basil Wolverton. And he had this marvelous drawing of, of Adam's torso, uh, you know, head, shoulders, torso down to his, just doesn't quite show his navel. Because you ask yourself the question, did Adam have a navel? If he was never born of a woman? Mm. I mean, one of the questions you're going to have. Imagine the number of people that are going to come to Adam and say, Excuse me, Adam, can I see your navel? (laughs) But anyway, what happened was God took all of the elements from the surrounding uh, dust or, or mud. Actually, it's interesting, the the name Adam means red in Hebrew, Adam. Or we get the same word Edom, uh, who was Esau. He was a red and uh, uh, hairy man with red hair. So the word Adam means red. Does that suggest that God created him out of red duster? I don't know. But... uh, But we know that God was able to assemble all of the necessary elements. I mean, some of the trace elements that had to go into the the creation of Adam. Boron. Uh, What are some other ones? Uh, um, Silicon and, uh, um, of course, carbon and, and, and hydrogen. They were there. And oxygen, carbohydrate. Uh, what about the amino acids that uh, made the muscles 
that um, Adam had. All of those were assembled by God so that um, uh, he could be made. So Adam and Eve um, were, they weren't resurrected, but they were created in the same way that the resurrections will take place. So let's have a look at the first resurrection. Um, That's the one that comes with the day of the Lord when it's finished, the seventh trump, the last trump. And that's why we read in Daniel chapter 12, Daniel chapter 12, and uh, we're going to read verses 2 and 3. Wonderful scripture, this one. Daniel 12, verse 2. It says, uh, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground. There it is. Remember I said both the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about people sleeping in the dust of the ground. You know, they don't go to heaven. They don't waft off to heaven or or go frizzling and frying in hell. That is a Catholic concept. It's a a satanic idea and concept. So let's read Daniel 12, verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, right? That's the first resurrection. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. Well, we heard about them in John chapter 5, didn't we? They are the very few people that will go to the uh, the lake of fire. Okay, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And in verse uh, 50. Now this I say, Paul writing to the church and the members of the church in Corinth. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Mr. Armstrong used to put it well. He used to say, so do you believe that you are in the kingdom of God? And then he'd say, well, if so, pinch yourself. (laughs) He used to call it the pinch test. And, and he'd say, if you can pinch yourself and you can feel the pinch, then you are flesh and blood, and therefore you have not inherited the kingdom of God yet. <laughs> That's always a good one. And then he said, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Uh, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. There's that same expression. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. Which dead? What, all dead? All people that have ever lived? Are they going to all come up in the first resurrection? No. Only those who have God's Holy Spirit, who have the down payment on eternal life, and who will be in the first resurrection. Now, Paul doesn't say that. But he is writing to whom? Is he writing to the Roman, uh, you know, soldiers? Is he writing to a bunch of, of Jewish Pharisees? No. He's writing to the church in Corinth, those who are converted, those who are, were baptized and were recipients of the down payment of eternal life. And then it says, For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible, that is our human bodies, 
must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. I want to return to that group of people who are in the audience right now who have recently lost husband or wife who were going to come up in the first resurrection. You know, here in Charlotte, I'm doing the uh, recording, we have had some wonderful people who are no longer with us. Mrs. Meredith, Wayne Pyle. Uh, We have Mrs. uh, uh, Bonjour. Uh, Quite a few people in the Charlotte congregation have died recently. What about in your church congregation? Have you recently lost someone? Were they baptized? Did they have God's Holy Spirit? They will be in that first resurrection. And if it was your husband or your wife or your mother or your father, your brother or your sister or even maybe one of your children, good news, you're going to meet them again in that resurrection. Wouldn't it be amazing if as you were rising up off the earth, to meet Jesus Christ in the clouds as you were rising up. Your your husband, who's been dead for two or three years, come and stands beside you and you rise together to meet Christ in the air. That's a pretty good picture to keep in your mind. I I hope my mum, who died... In 1967, so it's nearly 50 years, I hope that she will be there, rising up to meet us and we hold hands and and meet Christ in the clouds together. Oh, man, isn't it good to think about these things and to talk about them? So this resurrection is to spirit life. Now, who has already been resurrected to spirit life? Hmm? Can you tell me? Who? What about Lazarus? Was he resurrected to a spirit life? No. Lazarus was resurrected to a physical life. What about the the young boy that uh, Elijah raised from the dead? No, it was a physical resurrection. Lazarus and this young boy, they lived out the rest of their lives, and they died. And they they are asleep in the dust awaiting their resurrection. So, you know, they were physical resurrections. There's only one person, one man, that has ever been raised to spirit life, and that man is Jesus Christ. But we are next. He was the first of the first fruits. We are the first fruits. So we will be resurrected and we will be given spirit life. Okay, what about the next resurrection? That's the second resurrection. Well, let's read about that. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 to 15. And we'll see. And and ask yourself the question as I read this. Will this be a physical resurrection? Or will it be a spiritual resurrection? 
Well, it'll become clear as we read. Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. Now, when the thousand years, that's the millennium, have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather uh, them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. And, of course, you know the story. They rise up to go and try and destroy Jerusalem, but they, in turn, they are destroyed and the, the beast, uh, the, sorry, the devil uh, uh, is uh, cast into the lake of fire, as we read there. Now look at this in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Now there we go. How many people? Um, is it uh, 10 billion? I think it's going to be more than that. Is it going to be 20 billion? Maybe. Some people have said 50 billion people have lived on the earth. I don't think it's that many. I don't know how many it will be, but it's a lot of people. And it says they shall stand before God. Now, what happens? And books, notice that books, plural, were opened. And another book, that singular, was opened, which is the book of life. Ah. Okay, so here they are. They've been resurrected. God's got a book of life into which he will add certain names over a period of time. Now, what are the books that were opened? Well, the word books in the uh, Greek is biblion, that's a plural, whereas the word book is biblios, which is singular. So what we've got here is God opening some books. Which books? Well, what's this called? It's called the Bible, the book, but it is a compilation of many books from Genesis to Revelation. So it's this book of books that is open. Now, why is it opened? Well, because people are going to be judged not on one day, as we heard before, but over a period of time. And you and I will have the chance to explain the books to these people. And every Sabbath, you will be there to give a sermon in which you will go through... Hey, the book of the law, you will go through the books, book of Psalms, you will go through the Old Testament, New Testament, here a little, there a little. You will explain doctrines, you will show that the Trinity was a load of rubbish <laughs> and you will prove to them that they should have kept Sabbath and not Sunday. You will explain repentance and baptism to them. You will, you will give a sermon on the last great day. Similar to what I'm giving you now. But it'll be in the very present. It won't be future like we're talking now. You will speak in the present tense. So that when you read this scripture, and I saw the dead small and great standing before God and books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged. You're going to be able to say, and the dead are being judged because you will be doing that at the time, according to their works, 
by the things which were written in the books. Their works. Now, how could you judge some poor Chinese, communist Chinese guy for the life that he lived under Mao Zedong? How could you judge him according to what was written in the books if the man had never known what it said in the books? How could you judge someone for eating pork chops if they never knew they shouldn't eat pork chops. That's not fair. So you can see that if this is going to be a judgment that's going to take place over a period of time. And it's not going to be a spiritual resurrection. It's going to be physical. Let's have a look at Ezekiel 37. always love reading this. It says, uh, verse 1, dry bones. The hand of the Lord came upon me. This is Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. In other words, they were were the bones of people who had been long dead. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, and, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to those these bones, Surely I will cause bones, or breath, sorry, to enter into you, and you shall live. Look at this, I love this. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. It's not a spiritual resurrection. This is physical. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So, I want to paint the picture, everyone. Here are these bones. It it, it says in one place there was a rattling of the bones and they came together, knee bone to knee bone and thigh bone to to hip bone and, uh, you know, ribs to, to, um, um, to the spine. And then on the top, a skull that sits... Uh, there and then and the arm bones the fingers and and then laid on them will be uh, muscles and sinews and blood vessels and nerves all in their right place and position now i i've thought about this if you had um all the amino acids that are necessary for making the proteins and God assembles them all. Imagine the iron that he has to find to form the hemoglobin so that the, the blood can absorb the oxygen. Uh, think about the, the fats and the lipids that have to go into making nerves. Uh, think about the, uh, the hair follicles that have to produce hair. Um, think about the skin. Um, think about the eyes and the, and the teeth and the tongue and the mucus and the, and the lymph uh, sort of, I what you call that, just lymph, in the lymph nodes. All of that's got toenails. Um, and and then, it, then these bodies will, be, will stand up and they will ha- be naked. And there are going to be, let's say, 20 billion people standing there. And you and I and the, and the people who have lived during the millennium will have had to have built houses, uh, had food ready to uh, to cook meals. Uh, there'll be beds, sheets, blankets, clothes, shoes, 
But anyway, so all of these things have got to happen. There are going to be people who will be resurrected right next to someone who killed them with an axe or a sword or a gun or a, you know, or whatever. What do you think they're going to want to do? They're going to take out revenge. And one of the first things we're going to have to do is separate some people. Others will be hugging each other and embracing each other because they are, you know, relatives who loved each other, husbands and wives. What happens to a man who, whose first wife died when she was 24 and then he remarried? And who's he get to spend life the rest of that hundred years with? Both wives? Glad it's not my problem. <laughs> but all those things are, are things that we can think about. So wild men will want to take revenge, as I said. Uh, other people will be ready to embrace and, uh, and kiss and hug. Oh, imagine the mothers that are reunited with a five-year-old child that was killed you know, in a car accident. And she gets the chance to bring that child up for the rest of its teenage years. It's just an exciting concept to think about. Anyway, we, as I said, will have worked with that last generation of the millennium to prepare the clothing, the transport. Imagine the, the roads, the infrastructure, the sewerage system, the lighting, the, um, uh, all the things that you need in a modern city. Now, you're going to say, yeah, but we won't have electricity in the millennium. I don't know. Why not? Why? Maybe. Maybe not. <coughs> I don't think it's, it's really not a problem. It's not for us to worry about. But you know what's going to be really great? Huge Sabbath auditoriums will be built. 100,000 people will be able to sit in them. Great feast sites. Imagine providing feast sites for, for 20 billion people. Wow. You know, God will have recreated so many animals and there'll be new cities, there'll be new mountain ranges, there'll be, you know, lovely waterfalls and uh, people will will travel to so many beautiful places during the millennium and the great white throne judgment to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. It's going to be so exciting. The family unit will once again be the base of society and all perversions will be stamped out. You know, some, some people will come up in the resurrection and they'll be looking for their homosexual mate. How are you going to explain to them that what they were doing is not according to God's law or God's will? Well, you're going to have to do it wisely and, frankly, lovingly. You're not going to jump all over and say, you filthy, you know, perverted individual. You just simply have to say, look, this is God's world. And the world that you grew up in and the practices that you practiced will not be allowed. And they will have to come to repentance, just like people who were, you know, adulterers or fornicators. They're going to have to repent as well. Liars, thieves. Imagine what it's going to be like when, when some people come up in that second resurrection. And they've been so used to stealing that the first thing they will think about doing is going out and breaking into someone's house. And they start to think about it and you will say to them, this is the way, walk you in it. Get rid of that thought out of your mind right now. You know, some young young 18-year-old comes up in the resurrection 
and his life has been one of, of lust and, and drunkenness or, or whatever, then you have to say to him, I'm sorry, we don't do things that way in this, in this world. That can be exciting. I really think it's, and Satan won't be around to tempt them. And it's going to be really good. There'll be new technologies that we don't even know about at this time today. God's 1,000-year reign will have brought inventions that are non-polluting and ecologically sustainable. As I said, there's a chance that extinct animals will be recreated, and then there'll be family reunions. Imagine the family reunions that will take place. There'll be some awkward moments when a first wife, as I said, comes up and meets the second wife. (laughs) That's going to be quite amazing. I want to be there on that day when Mrs. de Junger is introduced and, and young Yup de Junger, 14 years of age, is brought to her. And she embraces him and weeps and cries and cries tears of joy. And big Yup de Junger, he was sort of a skinny, gangly, tall kid. He's going to say, oh, I'm sorry, Mum. I shouldn't have tried to swim that creek. And his friend who didn't get drowned, he's going to have to come and say, I shouldn't have let you go across that creek. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting time. History will will be rewritten. And people who were told stories about Napoleon or Stalin or Genghis Khan, they're going to have to find out what the truth is. Nazi propaganda will be removed from people's mind. And Hitler himself is going to have to confess to his lies, his murders, and all of the wicked and evil things that he did. Crooks and villains, as I said, will want to set up business again. (laughs) Uh, But they won't be allowed to. You're going to be the one that will deal with them. And then we come to the third resurrection. This is not going to be a spiritual resurrection. Listen, please, it's a physical resurrection. Let's have a look at um, some scriptures here that will help us. Revelation chapter 21, sorry, Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter 20, and it says here, this is talking about the uh, great white throne judgment, the second resurrection, it says, um, then death and Hades were, oh, sorry, the, verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Just imagine all of those sailors who died in the Atlantic convoys during the Second World War. The number of Roman galleys that went, went to the bottom of the ocean with all of the uh, uh, slaves who were, were rowing for the Roman uh, navy. And they'll be resurrected. Uh, All of those who were aboard the Titanic will come up in that resurrection. So it says, The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead, or death and the grave, that is, who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. And we've just read that uh, before as to what happens. But notice verse 14. Then death and the grave were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the second death 
which arises from the third resurrection. Now, the Bible doesn't use the term third resurrection. doesn't need to. It's implied. So the last great day is indeed great because God's great plan for mankind will finally bring to pass all of the perfection that he has planned. So where do we go from here? Well, I'm sure you've worked it out. This is not the end of God's plan. It's just the beginning of another plan. Will you be there? I know you will. What a wonderful day this is, the last great day. So enjoy your lunch as you sit together and uh, enjoy each other's company and then you will be hearing from a message this afternoon. So thanks for listening and uh, make sure you have a safe trip home. Bye-bye.